You smell that? You smell it? The, uh, the lights that are hanging in the middle of the room are new lights. The other lights have burned that smell off already, but you get to smell this morning the lights back in the middle of the room, so I know you're enjoying that. And uh, for your taste, we had the Lord's Supper, and so all we need is touch. And I'm thinking maybe you ever been to one of those theme parks and they show you a movie and they have little things that come out and tickle your ears or grab you on the leg. Maybe we could install some of those on the seats. When you guys fall asleep, guys in the booth can hit a button. Something can come out and tickle you on the ear, something like that. Luke chapter 7, we're going to look at verse 18 to 35 this morning. As we've talked about every week, Luke 19.10 governs everything we talk about in the Gospel of Luke. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In the particular section, not just the passage this morning, but the section of Luke that we're studying right now is focusing on the Son of Man part of that equation. Who is the Son of Man? It's talking about Jesus' identity. And so we've looked the last several weeks, we've learned different things about who Jesus is. This morning, the big idea is very, very, very simple. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the promised Messiah. The passage is about a man named John. We know him as John the Baptist. And John the Baptist believed that statement, that big idea. He believed it with all his heart. We're going to see this morning, he gave everything he had to make sure that people knew that and heard it and believed it. But there was a time in John's life, and we're going to look at it this morning, where he doubted, where he sort of hesitated and said, okay, I've given my life for that statement. I've given my freedom for that statement. But there was at least one moment in this spiritual giant's life where he stepped back and he had doubts and he had questions. You have doubts about spiritual things. There's things that we talk about on Sunday morning or maybe in your Bible study class or maybe that you read that sometimes you just don't know exactly how to handle. There's things that you hear from a pulpit or you read in your own Bible study and you say, I, I don't know how to make sense of that. I don't exactly know how to wrap my arms around that. I don't know if I can really believe that. To deny that is just to be dishonest. All of us at different times in our life, not always are we just plagued by doubts and fears and worries, but there are seasons in life, there's circumstances that you find yourself in where you do have doubts. And so it's good this morning to look at the life of John, a man who was a spiritual giant, and to see how Jesus responded to him when he was struggling with doubts. So look in your Bible, Luke chapter 7, we're going to begin in verse 18. The Word of God says this, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. 
The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The son of man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet, wisdom is justified by all her children. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we simply ask that you would give us wisdom, wisdom to understand, wisdom to apply. Father, we pray that we would be changed this morning. We pray that you would strengthen us and encourage us in our faith as we look at this interaction between John and Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to try to walk with me this morning a mile in the shoes of John the Baptist, and we're going to get to this question that he asked, but there he is, from my favorite children's Bible, Bible we read at my house almost every night, John the Baptist. When you picture John the Baptist, if you grew up in church, if you have much of a, a church background, you maybe picture somebody that, let's be honest, it's Christmas season, he's a little bit like Uncle Eddie, right, Christmas vacation. The guy shows up, and he's awkward, and he smells funny, and he dresses funny. And he eats funny things. And you don't exactly have a category for this guy of how to figure him out or how to deal with him or interact with him. You read about John in the Bible and you read this guy lived in the wilderness. He wore skins of a camel and a belt of leather. He ate, as you can see some of them flying around there, locusts, grasshoppers. He dipped them in honey. He was a strange man. But there's a lot more to John than just the weirdness and the oddities and the comic book caricature. And so just on your outline, we're going to talk about some of these things just so you get the full picture of who John is, and then we're going to come to his question. So first of all, we talked about John earlier in the Gospel of Luke. We read about his conception in his birth, and we read about Jesus' conception in his birth. So John and Jesus are kin. They're related. Uh, John's mom and Jesus' mom were related. That makes them some sort of cousins. Uh, Bible scholars dif uh, disagree and debate about exactly what this looked like, but they were family. They were related. 
We also know that John's birth was a miracle. You can go back and you can look in Luke uh, to read these stories again if you've forgotten them. But Elizabeth and Zechariah were old. They were far too old to have children. But just like God gave Isaac to Abraham and Sarah, just like God gave Samuel to Hannah and to Elkanah, uh, God gave John to Zechariah and to Elizabeth. And so his birth was miraculous. We also know that John was tough. He was not a pushover. He lived in the wilderness without modern conveniences of any kind. He ate things that we don't want anything to do with. And you say, well, that, that's the old times. They ate everything. People thought he was weird for eating bugs. They knew that this guy was a real deal. This would be like a, a great reality show if you could go back in time. Living in the desert with John the Baptist. <clears throat> we're wearing camel and we're eating bugs. People would love it. Uh, it'd be better than Bear Gryllis or any of these other survival guys. Wilderness with John the Baptist. This was a tough guy. And you know that Jesus thought he was tough because look what Jesus says about John in verse 24 and 25. He says, would you go out there to see a reed blowing back and forth in the wind, going along with public opinion, tickling your ears, telling you whatever you wanted to hear? Is that what you went out there for? No. What'd you go out there for? Did you go out to see some guy dressed in fancy clothes, living the high life? It's not what you went out there to see. We know that John was tough. And Jesus says, moving on from those two verses to verse 26, Jesus says he was a prophet. Not just any prophet, but the last prophet promised in the Old Testament. You can go back and look at Malachi 3.1. You can look at Malachi chapter 4. It promises that God would send a prophet before he sent the Messiah. And Jesus says, John is that prophet. You go back to Malachi and you say, wait a minute. Malachi said Elijah was going to come. Jesus said, if you have eyes to see it, you understand that John is Elijah. He lives in the wilderness. He wears funny clothing. He eats strange things. He is a bold and a fearless prophet. Jesus says he was the prophet promised. And he sums it up in verse 28. Jesus says, among those born of women, none is greater than John. He's a big deal. You think he's weird, and he is, but he is a really big deal. And then look what Jesus says, interesting verse. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. The least in the kingdom, greater than the greatest guy who's ever lived. And what Jesus is saying is this, John is the last of the old. He's the last one promised in the Old Covenant before the New Covenant begins. And John is looking forward in faith. And he's great. He's great in the sense that he sees more clearly, more than Isaiah, more than Zechariah, more than Moses, more than any of them. He sees more clearly what God is about to do through the Messiah. He's the greatest that's ever been born. But once you step across into the New Covenant... And you look back with faith, it doesn't matter if it's me or you, in the least in the kingdom, we understand more clearly what God did through the Messiah than John ever understood on that side of it. So Jesus says the least in the kingdom is greater than John. He says John was a preacher. He preached. He talked about a kingdom that was coming. He talked about salvation. He told people to repent. And when people responded to his message, he baptized them, hence the name, John the Baptist, or literally John the Baptizer. He dunked them 
in water. And it was a picture that the old person was dead and the new was alive. They had repented of their sins and they were living a life of following the Messiah. And as a preacher, this is the very next thing, he was constantly pointing people to Jesus. Constantly pointing people to Jesus. At times, John would look at his own disciples and he would say to them, you need to follow that guy, not me. Quit listening to me. Quit following me. It's not about me or my kingdom. You need to follow that guy and you need to do what he says. John would say things like, he, Jesus, needs to become greater and I need to become lesser. John would look at the people who were devoted to him and say, I am nothing. I don't matter. Follow the Messiah. Everything that I'm supposed to do in life is pointing people towards Jesus. And as he did that, he fearlessly confronted sin. Fearlessly. He didn't care who was doing the sinning or what kind of sinning it was. He confronted it. When the tax collectors came out and asked him what to do, he confronted them in their sin. When soldiers came out and, told, and asked John, what are we supposed to do? He confronted them in their sin. When the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and the lawyers came out and said, what are we, he confronted them in their sin. And eventually this got him in trouble. Because there was a man on the throne in Israel named Herod Antipas. We have no idea what he looks like. Now, from the research I've done, that's the closest we can come to a picture of Herod. That's an old coin from John the Baptist days. And it has the inscription of Herod Antipas on it. Interestingly, piece of trivia, on the other side of that coin is a reed blowing in the wind. Just an interesting piece of trivia. Herod Antipas, he's in charge. He's not a nice guy. To make a long story really short, here's what Herod Antipas does. He has a brother living in Rome. And he goes to visit his brother in Rome. He leaves his wife in Palestine and he goes to visit his brother. And while he's in Rome, visiting his brother, he meets his brother's wife. And while in Rome, he decides, I think I would rather be married to my brother's wife than my wife. And so he seduces her, takes her back home with him, and when he gets there with his new wife, and there's his old wife, he gets rid of her. Everyone knew what happened. It was public knowledge. So the Bible tells us that John the Baptist, when he heard about it, confronted him. And he used to follow Herod around. And he used to say things. You can picture Herod. He's up there giving a press conference, and there's John the Baptist in the audience. And what he would say is, you ought not do what you've done. You know it's wrong. You shouldn't have your brother's wife. That is not right. It's wicked. It's sinful. It's immoral. You're a sinner. And he kept saying it. And he kept saying it. It bothered Herod Antipas, but really he could care less about John. Here's where he got in trouble. It really aggravated the new wife. She didn't like it. She didn't like this reputation that was being spread, spread about her. And so John ends up in prison. And it's interesting. Look in the Gospel of Luke. Look how Luke sets this story up. <clears throat> he says, the disciples of John come and they tell him all this stuff about Jesus. And John calls two of his disciples and he says, you go to Jesus and ask him, are you the one to come or should we look for another? And when you read it in Luke, you say... Well, why didn't he just go? 
Why didn't John go and ask Jesus? Why did he have to send his disciples? Why didn't he just go have a face-to-face with his cousin and say, hey, what's the deal? Are you the guy or are you not the guy? And the reason, you can go back and look at Luke chapter 3, verse 20. You can look in the Gospel of Matthew. The reason John didn't go is he was locked up in prison. He was locked up in prison because he confronted sin and he did it fearlessly. And so there he is in prison. And he sends two of his guys to Jesus and they have one question to ask are you or are you not the Messiah yes or no I don't want to maybe I don't want to hang in there and let's see what happens I don't want to you try to figure it out Jesus I want a yes or a no are you the one to come the Messiah or not yes or no <clears throat> when you look at that list when you look at a man with that kind of character, you don't think that that kind of guy is going to have doubts. You don't think that he's going to have questions. He has given his life 1,000% all the way to his freedom doing these things for Jesus, to point people towards Jesus. He's told all of these people who loved him, quit following me and follow Jesus. And now, after all of his life, all of his life, he's sitting in a prison cell and he says, huh, is he the one or not? Has my life been a complete and total waste? If he's not who I thought he was, then I'm not who I thought I was. Are you the one to come or should we wait for another? He's been telling everybody that a great kingdom's coming. And that implies a king. Who's the king on the throne? It's Herod. Not the Messiah. He's been promising people salvation, salvation, salvation. He's got chains on his wrist. And he looks around and he says, it's not going exactly like I thought it was going to go. Jesus, cousin, Yes or no? Are you the one to come or do we need to look for somebody else? He has a moment of weakness and he doubts and he questions. Here's the best part of the story to me. These guys show up. They ask Jesus this question. You almost expect Jesus to say, are you kidding me? How stupid are you? <laughs> Have you been paying attention? To anything? Are you that dense that you haven't figured it out yet? Jesus had every reason to jump right down his throat. Did he do it? Did he pound on John in a moment of weakness? Did he criticize him for asking questions? Did he jump down his back for having second thoughts? No. Instead, Jesus said to the guys who brought the question, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to heal this person. I'm going to give this guy sight. I'm going to raise this person from the dead. I'm going to do this miracle. I'm going to do this miracle. I'm going to do this miracle. Now you go back and you tell John what you saw. And those guys are thinking, um, is it a yes or a no? You, <laughs> you didn't answer the question. We need a yes or a no. And Jesus says, you go back and you tell John what you saw. We read that and we say, Jesus, we just need a thumbs up, thumbs down. Shake your head, nod your head. Yes, no. This is not complicated. 
But for a man like John, who had built his entire life on the Old Testament, and who knew the Old Testament, and who knew passages like Isaiah 35, you can jot that down and read it later. Passages like Isaiah 61, you can look that one up later. Passages that said, when the Messiah comes, here's what's going to happen. The lame are going to leap like deer. The blind are going to receive sight. The dead will be brought back to life. When the Messiah comes, these things will happen. John knew those passages. And the message back to John wasn't a direct yes or no, but for John who knew those passages, the answer was what? Yes. I am the one. Now, back to John. There's a couple of things he needed to learn. And they're not exactly spelled out in this passage, but when you look at his character and you think about the doubts he's struggling with and you think about this answer that Jesus gave him, here's two truths that John needed to learn, two truths that we need to learn. Number one, the Messiah came to save you from your sins. That's Luke 19.10 all over again. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to accomplish something very specific. He took the form of a man and humbled himself becoming a servant. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, to save you from your sins. He came to do that. He accomplished it. It's done. John needed to get that straight in his mind. Here's the second thing John needed to figure out eventually. The Messiah will come to save you from your circumstances. In the United States, we get those flipped. We don't like to think very much about how sinful we are and how badly we need to be saved. And what we really want is Jesus to make our lives easy and comfortable and pain-free. And we forget, just like John forgets, sitting with chains on his wrists in a prison cell, about to have his head lopped off, we forget that Jesus came to save us from our sins and he will come one day to save us from our circumstances. I hope that I don't have to convince you very much of this, but I think if you just look around the United States, you look around Christians in the United States, I hope you understand that really there's a lot of people who call themselves a Christian who are deeply offended by these two truths. Deeply offended. Offended that you would say to them that they are a sinner and there's nothing they can do to fix it. I think most people in our society are ready to admit they're not perfect. But you start telling them that their situation is hopeless and there's nothing they can do to change it. People are going to bow up. I'm not that bad. Really? Really? I think people are offended at the idea just simply that they are sinners. No, I'm not perfect. Yes, I make mistakes. But a sinner is such a hard word. I think there's people who are offended at the suggestion that Jesus doesn't want them comfortable today. Now, what's he there for? If he's not there to make me comfortable and keep me safe and get rid of all the problems in my life, what would I pray about? Those are the only things I ever ask him for. Isn't that what he's there for? Isn't he like a big giant genie up there? You take your stuff to him, you read the list off, and he kind of checks off as much of it as he can do. 
I don't think people get this. John had forgotten it, and he had to learn these lessons. We forget them, and we need to learn them. Here's the honest truth. You keep reading about John, there's a lot of people who would be offended at what happened to him, at what God let happen to him. Because he sat in prison, and he sat in prison, and he sat in prison. And then one day, we'll get to this story later, uh, because of Herod and his new wife and her daughter, John gets his head chopped up off and served on a plate. That's the end of his story. Why didn't God take care of him? Again, to be totally honest with you, Jesus is not surprised that anybody would be offended by these things. Jesus is not a fool. Humanity has not changed so much in 2,000 years that Jesus didn't see this kind of thing coming or know that it would have been coming then. That's why Jesus said this in, in verse 23, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I know you're not going to like this answer, but blessed is the person who doesn't take offense at what I'm saying and what I'm doing. And that's his point in verse 31 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 where he talks about these kids singing this song and back and forth. He says, look, here's John. He fasts and he lives in the desert and he doesn't own anything and he's just this crazy guy. You hate him. You think he's possessed by a demon. Here I am. I'm rubbing shoulders with people. I'm in the marketplace. I'm going to parties. I'm interacting with folks. I'm living a somewhat normal life compared to John. And you hate me. You say he's too crazy and you say I have too much fun. We can't win. He's not surprised that people would be offended by this kind of thing. So here's the real question as we wrap up. Are you offended by Jesus, by the things that he says, or by what he came to accomplish? Are you offended that Jesus would have the gall, the nerve, to suggest that he is the only way a person can have a relationship with the Father? Are you offended that Jesus, while he does befriend sinners, refuses to leave sinners in their sin and calls them, in fact, demands that they repent? Does that offend you? Are you offended that Jesus would say to some people, you need to give up everything that you have. You need to give up whatever you need to give up to follow me. Are you offended that Jesus, we think about John here, that he would deliberately and intentionally leave people in less than ideal circumstances? Does that offend you? Or, on the flip side of that, does it offend you that Jesus would deliver some people from those circumstances and put them in delightful circumstances and you're not one of those people? Does that offend you? Jesus says, blessed is the one who does not take offense at me. And he's fully aware that people are going to criticize him one way or the other. Here's my hope for you this morning. Back up from this passage. Lay down all your preconceived ideas about who Jesus is, what he came to do, or what he ought to be doing in your life today, and allow scripture to inform your expectations. Stop coming to Jesus and trying to wrap your expectations around Jesus, and allow Jesus to be Jesus. My prayer for you is that you would understand Luke 19.10, that he came to seek you and to save you while you were lost that you would believe 
and that you would rest in the hope that one day he will come and save you from your circumstances. I don't know what they are today. They may be fantastic. They may be terrible. One day he will deliver you from them. Whether it's financial issues, health issues, emotional issues, deliverance is coming. I know that it's not here now in ways that we would all like it to be, but it is coming and it's coming with Jesus when he returns. My prayer is that when you face doubts, not if, but when, when you face doubts, you wouldn't just sit back and passively listen to yourself, but that you would listen to Jesus. Are you the one to come or should we look for somebody else? And Jesus says what? I'm the one. You don't need to look for anybody else. I'm the one. Let's pray. Father, our hope is in Jesus. Father, all too often we are guilty of bringing our expectations and ideas and trying to squeeze Jesus into who we want him to be. Father, we confess that as sin and we ask you to forgive us. And we thank you that the Son of Man came to seek us and to save us and to die for us because of sin like that. Father, we pray this morning for people who are here who maybe know about Jesus. Maybe they've heard of Jesus. Maybe they know a lot of stories about Jesus. But Father, people who do not have a genuine relationship with him. People, for whatever reason, have not allowed Jesus to be who he is in their life and who he wants to be in their life. We pray for grace. We pray for your spirit to strengthen us, Father. We know that if we're not doubting today that the day is coming where we find things hard to believe, where we're just not sure if we're doing it right, if it's true, if it's real. And we pray that in that moment we would listen to Jesus and not our doubts. We pray that you would guide us that you would lead us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.